You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. The cocktails are poured, and the deck is shuffled and cut. And one rule, people, please don't splash the pot because it's 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That must mean it's time for Mission Log Live. Hello, everyone. I'm Norman Lau. I'm Holly Amos. And tonight we are finally back from the mid-season break to discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 8, All In. So get your questions and comments ready. Give us a call. You know how to do it. Click on the Zoom meeting link or use the one tap on your smartphone or call us at 669-900-6833 and enter the meeting code and the password on the screen and then you will be in the Earl Green Room. I haven't done this in so long. I almost felt like there needed to be fanfare when we both introduced ourselves. You know, like Holly, I'm, I'm Holly, I'm Norm. <sighs> you know, like some kind of sound effect. Yeah. Ooh, hello. hello, chat. So here's one thing I've been doing. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos. I've been watching a lot of streamers and they affectionately call the chat room chat. So I'm going to call our chat room chat. Hello, chat. Very affectionately. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what the, the popular streamers do. So let's see what's going on with the chat. Let's see who's in chat tonight. Uh, your dad, number one, Hi, in dad. so many ways. Right? My mom's probably watching too. Hi, mom. All right. So you have uh, the parents, Amos, watching right now. The parents. <laughs> 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 uh, John Arminio, what's up, man? Sam, nice to see you. Uh, let's see here. Evelyn, thank you for being here. Cooley. Everyone give a big kapla cooley to cooley. Cooley's here. Uh, Cap Mike, what's going on, man? Uh, Alan, nice to see you. Uh, Dave, a lot of the regular names, a lot of the people that we know, a lot of the faces that we don't get to see, but sometimes get to see. We'll talk about that later on when I discuss our wonderful crew that we have on Patreon. Oh, Paul Wright. Paul, I'm so sorry, man. Too soon? Is it too soon to say I'm sorry? Sorry, man, um, for the Super Bowl. But at least you got there. The Browns oh. can't say that. I know, I'm not it is. sorry. I know you're you're. <laughs> Yay, LA. Um, people set off like uh, fireworks in our neighborhood last night, which I knew was going to happen based on the fact that they set them off after the World Series. It didn't go for very long. Five minutes and they're like, all right, back to normal life. <laughs> I'm just curious out there, chat. What did I stall for a second? Did did I you go? Did. Just for a second. Okay. Sometimes that happens like later on at night because I figured that out. There's a little bit of a throttling prob- uh, problem that happens, you know, with some service providers because it's late at night and they throttle your service back a little bit to save on their internet service. So that might happen. I hope it doesn't happen for too many times though. Uh, but thanks everyone for being here. Uh, so here's something that I haven't done in a while. And uh, I, just because there's so much stuff going on with Mission Log and so many different shows that we're doing, and now we're back, I'm going to do the rundown, the Mission Log quote-unquote rundown. Reminds me of that episode in The Office. It's like, hey, Jim, can you give me that rundown? Yeah, get right on it. What's the rundown? What's the rundown? So <laughs> if you guys know The Office, you know what I'm talking about. So here's the rundown for this week's Mission Log. We have our Mission Log Deep Space Nine Retrospective. That's a supplemental episode, and it's a triple threat. That's one, two, three. Triple threat because it's hosted by John Champion, myself, and Earl Green, talking about questions that our wonderful audience on Discord wrote in the Discord channel because that's what they get when they sign up for Patreon. We'll talk about that in the ad break in the middle of the show. 
We also have, well, we have a few surprises in store for Star Trek Prodigy, for Mission Log Prodigy, because we're going on a pretty extended break. Don't even know exactly when in the summer or possibly early fall when Prodigy is going to be back. But we do have some surprises for you. Just stay, stay tuned. And of course, Mission Log Orville with Captain Mike Richards and Jessica Lynn Verde. They're just trudging right along and going hopefully not too much at warp speed anymore because the Orville's premiere uh, date on Hulu has changed from March 20th to June 2nd. So we have a little bit of time for everyone to catch up. Uh, to watch the Orville, get ready for the new season, New Horizons coming on June 2nd, and the Cap and JLV will be there to cover that. And just make sure that all you find all of this stuff and like, share, and subscribe it all on the Roddenberry Entertainment channel on the YouTube. And that's what's going on. Take a break. But first, before we jump into the recap for any of this stuff, I want to say hi to Holly because I haven't seen Holly in a long time. We haven't done this in a long time. And I just want to say, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. Would you like to, would you like to uh, share a little bit of a personal story with our listeners? What happened to you prior to us getting on? I'm hurting myself. Like I burnt my finger last week on my, on my middle finger. I don't want to flip anybody off. I burnt my finger last week on my hair straightener as if I haven't been straightening my hair since like high school, like more than half my life. So I'm logging on today. Earl usually is on first. Um, go to log on and I see he's already on and I go to put my headphones on and I stretch them out to put them around my head and my right hand lets go and it pops me in the face and I split my lip open. I'm so concerned that I'm looking at my script and I'm looking at you uh, favor your lip at the same time. So I just want to make sure that you're okay because sometimes is, like getting I got popped my, in the face. Hmm. Yeah, I got my big Klingon mug because it gets very cold like a Moscow mule copper cup oh. and it's <laughs> using it to ice my lip as I drink <laughs> and stay in canon in the universe. Yeah. It's fabulous. Very yeah. smart. Uh, always very shrewd that way. Uh, so, yeah. I'm really failing at not um, giving myself minor injuries over the past week. We got to be careful about you. I don't know. I'm not sure like what's going to happen on your next appearance on the show. So um, producer, our producer giving us a note here, Earl Green saying that uh, podcasting is dangerous. Y'all. Yeah. Don't punch yourself in the face with headphones. (laughs) Let's not do that. Uh, And hopefully that doesn't, you know, swell up too much. Make sure that you, you, you're drinking that Klingon mug and keeping it nice and chilled. Um, speaking of chill, though, you're ready to chill. And uh, let's get into the recap while I bedazzle us with this incredibly oh, Yeah, this is, short... actually, this is actually pretty short. Yeah, f- for, for me it is. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, tried to, I tried to condense it because, you know, it's just like, and they played poker. That's like 20 minutes of a scene, right? Let's go. But it's a little bit more creative than that. All right, here we go. For the recap of Star Trek Discovery, Back from the Break, Season 4, Episode 8, All In. Fleet Admiral Vance is panic-stricken. He's allowed Starfleet's most advanced spore drive to slip from his fingers. Book and Tarka have stolen it and escaped to parts unknown in Book's now untrackable ship. President Rylak needs options. Is it Rylak or Rillick? I think it's Rillick. President Rillick needs options, and Captain Burnham, who vouches for Book's reputation both personally and professionally, informs both Rillick and Vance that Tarka needs black market isolinium to power his anti-DMA superweapon, and there are only a few vendors outside of Federation jurisdiction who Burnham knows who can supply that merchandise. 
Afterwards, Admiral Vance confides in Burnham to find Book under the pretense of Discovery's investigation into Species 10C. On Book's ship, both he and Tarka come to terms with their agreement as Tarka convinces Book that they will both be lauded by President Rillick as heroes once the DMA is destroyed. Book just needs to locate some isolinium to power Tarka's weapon. Outside of Federation jurisdiction... Wait a second. This sounds awfully familiar. Prior to leaving to track down Book, Burnham meets with Saru and Stamets, who, with Zora's help, have discovered that a race called the Stealth may prove helpful in expanding what limited data Discovery has on the Galactic Barrier star charts. With that, Burnham, accompanied by Owo, heads off to find an old friend who can broker both these star charts and the Isolinium that Tarkin needs. Find the Isolinium? You find Book. Two birds, one broker. Meanwhile, Stamets finds a very distraught Hugh tidying their quarters and suffering from severe emotional burnout. Paul thinks it would be good for the both of them to stroll amidst some holographic flowers for a while, just to reconnect and, de- reconnect and decompress together. Book has a head start, though, and he reaches his and Michael's old friend, Haz Mazzaro, first on his karma bridge on Porthia. Book tries to deal for the Isolinian, but Haas takes all of Book's Latinum to settle an old score. Out of money, Book agrees to help Haas shut down some card-counting thieves. Shortly after, Burnham arrives also looking for the Isolinium and Book. She doesn't have enough Latinum to make a dent in the offer, but after she and a very determined Owo hustle a sizable amount of Latinum from some shady cage fighters, Book and Tarka manage to track down and capture a one-changeling card-counting operation in the nick of time, leaving Haas with a very profitable situation and choosing Leonian poker as his tiebreaker. Haas has also brought in some heavy Orion Syndicate players to fill out the table, and Burnham requests that for these stakes, they should all be allowed to inspect the quality of the Isolinium. Once that's settled, Book and Burnham make short work of Haas's ringers and end up going in all in against each other, head-to-head, winner takes all, but also loses everything that means anything. Book has the winning hand and takes the Isolinium. Meanwhile, Owo wants to know what's in it for Tarka, who alludes to a depth of revenge from a loss she can never understand. Upon returning to Starfleet headquarters, it seems like Burnham failed her mission, but she knew she couldn't beat Book, who was a master at Leonian poker. She did, however, manage to hide a tracker on the Isolidium casing, and now they know where Book's once untrackable ship will go when Tarka's weapon is ready. Not all is lost, however. After procuring the Stilfian star charts from Haas, Stamets was able to add that very important data to fill in the gaps needed to find the location of species 10C. The charts now show an artificial oblong shape large enough to house a small star system and that the DMA is just a mining tool to strip Boronite from whatever system it invaded. Vance cannot even fathom what their weapons are capable of at this level of technology. Now the race is on to find and stop Book and Tarka from making what could possibly be the costliest first contact event ever in the history of the Federation. The end. Mmm. Mm. Pretty good, huh? Plot thickens. It does. I thought it was very exciting. The Boronite, the introduction of the concept of them mining Boronite was <laughs> fantastic. Like that's not a direction that I expected it to go at all. It's kind of like when, you know, like when a when a blue whale feeds, you know, it appears, it displaces all this water as it kind of flails around and there are no micro shrimp left in its vicinity. Right. Into the micro shrimp, you're an enemy. But exactly. To the whale, the whale is just trying to live its life. Just like a crystalline entity. It's just feeding. Yeah. Right. <laughs> deep, deep, just deep. Just trying cut. to have a snack, guys. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to destroy anything. I just want a snack. 
So let's get into some of the notes here before we get into some of the callers, because you have some really, really great points to, uh, to discuss here. So I, again, mine are just bullet points and exclamation points. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I like. OK, so the top thing here, I, I think something that you and I both kind of landed on and I really liked that we landed on it because it was so just cool to see a changeling in 900 yeah. years into the future. So we have some theories about that. Can changelings be in 900 years in the future? How long do they live? Are they immortal? Yeah. So we were discussing this a little, uh, changelings. It's not really in Canon how long they live. There's been implications that maybe they live for 200 years. There's been implications that they live 400 years based on, you know, Odo appearing, you know, in the power. Anyways, um, then the female changeling at one point says you're changeling, you're timeless, which says maybe they're immortal. So it's actually not canon. So, I mean, if they decide to make it canon that they're immortal and they can only really be like killed in battle, you know, right. or by or by the virus. Um who knows who that could be? And he's turning into he, she, whoever it is, is turning into such good callbacks, turns into a triple and rolls away. It was mm-hmm. a Zindi insectoid, which I appreciated. Um, and then, the, of course, the last form that we see them in is like the classic humanoid changeling form that we associate with changelings, which is what, you know, the female and uh, Odo were and right. how we saw them in Deep Space Nine with sort of the, the pulled back skin. Yeah, it's very kind of the the Dr. Mora-esque type of features that aren't yeah. quite defined. And all the other changelings seem to just go along with that. <laughs> yeah, so it's exciting to see changelings. I hope that this isn't like just um, a convenient excuse to use that species as part of the storytelling of this episode. Like, I hope we kind of get to see them more and maybe in in the whole figuring out the DMA that maybe this character will get expanded on and maybe the... the uh, entire species will get expanded on because there's still a lot of stuff that we don't know about the changelings. Dominion 2.0, 900 years in the future. I mean, it could be. Who knows? Yeah, there's always that possibility. I mean, that's that's a big can of, big can of worm you yeah. know, being opened up there. Uh, I really liked, I liked seeing Owo in like this more expanded role as not just a navigator or not just you know, someone who's accompanying Michael, but someone who's active, actively affecting the story. I had a question for you, question for the audience too. Do you think that she was kind of hustling everybody in that room? Absolutely. Yeah. The casino. She knows what she's doing. Well, but she was she hustling. She was hustling Burnham too. Like what Burnham didn't know helped sell the hustle. Right. So Burnham's like, are you sure you want to do this? And she's actively like participating, actively concerned with Owo's safety. And she's like, I can do this. You know, how many losses later? And then all of a sudden it's like, one more, one more, one more, you know, and more and more and more losses. And then the Latinum and the odds just keep piling up. And all of a sudden there's that one move, that one, I'm going to like, I'm just going to end this. I got enough money now. Right. So. But she's also hustling. I I mean, I'm interested to see how much further it goes with like her and Tarka or what comes what more comes out about Tarka's circumstances, which are still we know a little bit about, but not the full not the full story. Right. Um the conversation that she had with him was really interesting. Um 
I'm glad that they brought Owo back. She has, she's been, she was not in a, like many of the, the last episodes that we saw. I sort of felt like she and Detmer and some of the rest of the bridge group sort of got pushed aside and forgotten about through the storytelling of the, of the DMA. But um, what a way to come back girl. And right. they didn't even, I mean, they didn't even have this originally. They didn't have like that, that break planned. So for, for the series to come back or for the season to come back in this episode where she's, She's doing what she's doing like good for her she's she's awesome yeah she came out like with a serious agenda which is super cool i also love how poker is timeless no matter where we are in star trek you know whether it's a corbomite maneuvers not not chess mr spock poker you know and all the way to the end of all good things mm-hmm. to now right i mean i love that they can use it uh, analogy to different analogy to different analogy and with this it is literally you're all into this relationship or you're not like this personal relationship. The stakes are super high. Yeah. Oh, he's frozen again. Oh no, you guys double down. What do you think about that? Oh, you got throttled and I have no idea what you asked me. Oh, so I was talking about book and her relationship or his relationship with uh, Burnham and using this poker analogy, like how, how they're all in, not just all in with the money, not just all in for the Isolinium, but all in for their relationship. And Book doubles down and wins, but does he win? Um, it's an interesting dynamic that they have in their relationship right now, right? Because they're essentially like, in any other circumstances, you would be enemies at this point. But they're still being nice to each other. And even Haas is like, I really hope this works out between you two. Um, I think that even though they disagree with each other, they understand each other, um, which is important, I guess, for the future of their relationship, right? Because we don't, they're not, they didn't break up or anything. They're just having a moment. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're figuring out who they are in this relationship, right? Yeah. And maybe, maybe all is forgiven once, you know, Book and Target destroyed the DMA. Maybe not. You know, well, I guess where that remains to be seen. Or, but not um, now. Like, we don't, I mean, based on what we learned through the end of the episode, like, it could be cataclysmic. Like, we don't want them to actually, because I, I was on the fence. I was like, I can see both sides of the argument, right? Like, this, mm-hmm. if we destroy it, it could be very bad. Like, this very obviously advanced species technologically could just come down on us and it, it could go very bad. But also, like, it's destroyed several planets, it's killed millions even billions of people like i see both sides of it but now based on the fact that we've learned that this is essentially just like they're mining what they need to survive Mm -hmm. i agree that like they mm, are we dealing with book and tarka need to be stopped right yeah because they're make it worse I mean, they're acting in one way. It's kind of like the way that the miners in Devil in the Dark acted to defend themselves against the Horta, right? They're only in self def- Like the Horta was in self-defense. The miners were in self-defense. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen this kind of theme in Star Trek before. Uh, the crystalline entity. Right. Again, going back to that, you know, they didn't, when, when Picard finally understood it's only feeding. Right. And, and Book and Tarka, by the way, by the end of this episode, they're still in the dark. Right. It's Burnham that figures it out. And the and the crew of of the Discovery. Oh my God! I almost said Enterprise. <laughs> they figure it out. So Book and Tarka are still in the dark about its true motivation, and they're still out there trying to build this device that it's going to destroy this. Unless the, unless the DMA itself, much like in other 
you know, themes we've seen in Star Trek before, where something that's naturally doing something occurring in nature for themselves as a species wiped out like everything that both Book and Tarka loved, because they're probably operating from that possible same, you know, mentality. Who knows? Because that was what Tarka was kind of alluding to, like a depth, like a loss that you will never understand. Right. Right. And which is, is something that sort of, you know, he says everybody, you know, has different losses or different levels of losses. And again, we're still talking about like loss and grief, which is like an ongoing theme throughout the season with like basically every character on some level or, or another. And for all the characters who have traveled to the future, for sure. Um, but the small glimpse of what of of his grief and how what it's connected to the small glimpse that we got of it versus what he said in this episode for me kind of don't match like i don't i'm like how is he this doesn't feel warranted based on what we know which is why i feel like there's there's something there's we don't know the full story right of what um, he's experiencing hopefully like maybe in the next episode we'll see like a little bit more to that like because we've opened up oh opened up the doorway tarka is like the first time he's actually let something personal slip you know he's very calculated so maybe that's just an entry point to the next episode where he'll maybe open up the book talk about that a little bit more and see what's going on there they might have a common interest which may be even more dangerous than just you know them thinking that they're doing the right thing right he's so they a, could feed off of that vengeance he's an interesting character one of my notes in this is is just literally it just says i still love tarka's vibe <laughs> he is interesting yeah he's because very wild cardish yeah he's super wild card right because i have like i like him but then i don't like him and then he's egotistical and i don't actually know what's going on with him like i'm very intrigued i'm very intrigued yeah. by this character Oh, yeah, I mean, it has a lot of different dynamics, right? I mean, like he's like a scoundrel, but at the same time, though, he's super smart and created the tech out of nothing to stop a changeling, which was super cool, right? So who is this guy? Like, what's, what's, his, what's his underlying motivation? What does, like, uh, like Alan Rickman asked, you know, in, in Galaxy Quest, you know, what's his motivation? What does it want? You know, what does he want? Um, I always want to know that, too, though, because I see like Disney villains that seemingly have no motivation. I'm like, why are they evil? Just the evil queen. Why is she evil, though? I want to know why. I guess that's isn't it kind of answered in like some live action movies? Some some kind of some of these and some of the those questions get answered like later on when they do prequels and origin stories. But like in reality, like when we were kids. A lot of of villains were evil just for the sake of being evil for the plot, right? But there was no there was there was no explanation of their motivation. And so I've always been like, I wanna know why this person is a villain. Like what and I've always I've always maintained that I don't think Star Trek has villains. I think that Star Trek has baddies, whatever you want to call it, that actual I mean like Khan is the is is the best example of that, right? Like when you learn Khan's story, you you kind of feel bad for him. Well, especially since he got basically stranded. Yeah, you know by Kirk. Well, we'll yeah. we'll check in on you like in a couple months. Promise. Rude. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. I guess they don't he's, have sensors that warranted. Khan is warranted in his anger, and that I don't feel like he's a villain. I just. But were they warranted? Was he warranted in his wrath? 
you know. I mean, I could go on and talk about Rathacon, <laughs> but that's not <laughs> that's not what we're supposed to be talking uh, about. Speaking of Wrath will buy his um you know, his his outward demeanor right now for listening to us ramble on. We have Alan lined up for our first call. <laughs> In the lower decks. What's up, Alan? Good to have you back on the show. Oh, time oh, no, out. He's... Oh, no. He has to There him. we go. Yes. There, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm glad I'm not blame... dealing with technical difficulties tonight. Yeah, no, I, I blame Windows 11. Everything is going really slow on my laptop ever since it upgraded. But yes. We're down here in the, the, the Lower Decks Lonely Hearts Club party. Cheers. Are you suffering from buffering time? Hey. Possibly a little bit, yeah. <laughs> you bring up my A game when it comes to puns when you're on, Alan, by the way. Yes, well, you know, uh, and uh, in honor of the day, you know, roses are red, violets are blue, discovery is back, and so are we. Yay. Oh, <laughs> but did you punch yourself in the face today? Did you manage that? Because I yet. did. Not yet. <laughs> I managed to punch myself in the face for Valentine's the, Day. That night is young, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> no, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't recommend it. If it can't be with the one you love, punch, punch yourself the one in you're the with. face. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> God. So what's happening? So how did you like this episode, man? I, I, so we were going over some of these points, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Notes, and and I, I saw some raised eyebrows. I saw some crossed eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple things that we talked about. You were like, I could see you on board with, and not so much on board with. Yeah, I, I overall liked it. Um, it's a good. It was definitely a fun episode. This was like, you know, it had a fun premise. Hey, let's, you know, yeah, let's watch them play poker for twenty minutes. That's that's you know always good. Leon in poker is some sort of version of space hold'em uh the space cards were fun the space chips were fun you know it was it was really cool i liked uh, space chips yeah, they, have, yeah. they did they have a lot of really good props yeah, i mean and good. that's to be expected the, card, the cards a, were the cards were yeah. pro they looked good in yeah, a cards. casino and bar setting i expect there to be some pretty good deep cut props and references so oh yeah good job. you know i'm i'm sure there's more than one uh uh, poker, <laughs> poker player on staff. That's like always wanted. Now, if I were to make cards, they would, they would definitely be like you know. And it's and it's not even like you know, Battlestar. Let's just shave off a couple of quarters. Interesting. There, those were some interesting shapes, and the yeah, the chips were kind of like, um, kind of like almost hourglass shaped really cool yeah i liked i liked mm-hmm. everything about it um i liked uh i i agree with you guys it was great to see owo in, in a prominent role um i it's weird that it took them writing half the supporting cast out of the show to get to her but what are you gonna do you know Baby steps you know yeah. it, it, it is what it is and you know it's just sort of like i guess the premise of discovery has always been, you know, kind of like focused on the scientific team when it was the spore drive. It was definitely Burnham working with Stamets, working with Tilly with, uh, you know, um, Oh God, uh, Jason Isaacs, the captain uh, who I can, who I can't remember his name right now. Lorca. Lorca. Yeah. yeah. Gabriel Lorca. Lorca and, Another another mysterious bad boy for Star Trek. 
but uh <laughs> but yeah Lorca and Saru kind of in charge of everything and when that's the focus of of your show is your navigator and your communications officer all that relevant to the plot line maybe not so i i get why it's kind of frustrating that we're sort of used to this idea of the bridge crew being the 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 sort of focus of the show and everything sort of gets focused through that set of characters and that just hasn't been discovery up until up until now but mm-hmm. if you're going to have these these people around for years and years and years now's a good time to do the deep space 9 thing and give them more interesting backstories and you know more relevance to this to the overall storyline and mm-hmm. they've done it pretty well with owo so far i feel like she's gotten the most out of anyone that they haven't you know just you know given them an episode and then written them off the show like they did with arium too but yeah it's i i i appreciate the fact that that they're giving uh giving the rub to some of the some of the other characters and hopefully that'll continue um Oh. Uh, as for the casino itself, it was it was cool. Um, I there's there's a part of me that kind of wishes it had been uh, what was it, it Sinkatsu? Oh the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Voyager, the Voyager uh, martial arts thing that uh, from the the episode with the Rock. The, ro- the his very first <laughs> acting gig, by the way. Yeah. Nice. Yes, I think that would have been. That would have been an interesting callback, although then you have to explain Tsunkatsu again, and I don't know if we were up for that along yeah, with I feel everything like else. Poker is a little bit more universally understood, right? Oh, yeah. Tsunkatsu yeah. is... <laughs> no, I, I mean, I still to this day, I'm just like, well, they just beat the hell out of each other, I guess, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's that, and then you have to touch the thing, and, you know, you, you know, different colors mean different types of... Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, there's a lot of... <laughs> weird strategy involved that I don't yeah I mean I feel like poker was the easiest to get away with that or go fish just keep it there yeah um and then you we have a very fun interesting guest character in Haas and I liked I'm sort of of a little bit of two minds on him mainly because I like the character I like the actor. I like the portrayal. The makeup was amazing. I, I thought the makeup was amazing. Too. Makeup's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Very that's good. just Very a good. really strong, solid portrayal of an alien. However, and I touched on this a little bit in the Discord, so I'm going to try not to repeat myself too much, but it kind of got into a place with the dialogue where it was like, did, did it, did it feel referency like too referency for you guys as well? A lot of what, listen, I love a good deep cut. I love references. I I love tie-ins, but like every other line was, I mean, I got, I actually got a little bit excited when he said Armas because that's a super deep cut. But when he said like, he referenced like a Cardassian and cake. And I was just like, okay, we're, we yes we are in the star trek universe i understand yeah you exactly. gotta be like there's gotta be you have to have to read the room as a writer and say like if i write all this kind of stuff is it because i'm jealous that lower decks <laughs> getting all of getting all of that lane right you know it's like no yeah. you gotta stay i mean armis the lane was, that you're writing for armis was referenced in lower decks too yeah well and 
and I, and that's I, like lower decks is shtick though, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and like I said, I, that's something that I expect of lower decks. Like that's sort of like, I expect it to be a little bit meta. I expect it to be played for, for comedy, but you know, you, when I, when I heard that line, I was like, it did sort of trigger that. Well, how does he know that kind of response mm-hmm. or what, what how how do Cardassians feel about cake? I don't think we've I don't think we've clarified that yet. <laughs> I mean, you might as well say something like, well, uh, you know, like uh, like Porthos eating like like Porthos is eat, eating cheese. You know, like it, it might yeah. as well be something like that random. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean, because yeah. it's 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 obviously like an, it's an in joke to the in universe. But that's again, that's not Discovery's forte. It's yeah, like when you see like let's say go all the way back to like like Battle of the Binary Stars or you know one of the first two or three episodes uh, in season one, when you saw like the list of the greatest captains, you just saw Archer's name and Pike's name. Like when you see it dropped in organically like that yeah. and you look at it on screen, they're like, you're like, oh, I see what you did there. That was smooth. Yeah. But now it's a little, a little overt, I think, you know, yeah. as a wink, wink, nod, nod type of joke. There's a fine or line. Yeah, There's for sure a fine line. Yeah. Yeah, or if it had been Tsunkatsu or Ambo Jitsu, because they did that on on Lower Decks as well. You know, that would have been... Ambo Jitsu would have been cool. Yeah, there you go. Makbara! Here's... No, not Makbara. Yeah. Makbara is a little bit too peaceful. No, I'm... I'm mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Says she, that, like, icing down her lip with a... With my Klingon cup. Or, yeah. that's, or that weird, uh, that weird uh, uh, jungle gym... Death sport from from uh, Code of Honor. Oh, we don't speak of that. <laughs> we do not do this, speak man? of Code of Honor. Okay, all right. We are we, we run a clean show. That was too far. You start talking about this. Yeah, yeah. Now, and and you see that's the thing is that you know when I see when I hear stuff like that and it's not limited to this episode of Discovery because I kind of I kind of felt that way about uh, you know a certain show that rhymes with Pandalorian as well that with some of the dialogue that they have. Like, is that a new DreamWorks you know, show? Mm, yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's on uh, uh, Disney Plug. Um, oh, but <laughs> but wow, you know, um, it kind of reminds me of a quote. And you know, I don't do a lot of writing. It's actually been a long time since I've done any writing. But I always think of this thing that I believe is it, it's attributed to Coco Chanel, where a lady when she goes out puts on all of her jewelry and then takes off one thing. Mm. I feel like. When you're writing your references, put in what you want, but then go back through it and be like, do I need, do I really need this? Do I really need this piece in here? Or is it just, you know, reference for reference sake? Is it just, you know, glitter for glitter sake? Um, I once wrote a, a, a thing where I decided to make one of the characters Australian. And before I, before I knew it, I was just, writing 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 and then i a couple days later i read it back and i was like this guy sounds like our our dearly departed crocodile hunter this needs to be we need to dial this back a little bit and i think that's something that's you know like i said not maybe not even just for discovery but all science fiction writers and scripters you know something to keep in mind is like maybe make sure that you're still making it relatable to the people watching it and that, you know, somebody sitting at home doesn't have to be like, well, okay. Yeah. I do. And I think there was even a scene where either Booker or, um, uh, or Burnham 
they were like, nope, I didn't get that either. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're having to hang a lampshade on it, maybe dial it back. But otherwise... I do appreciate that most yeah. of the time that the right and I don't listen, I don't disagree with you. The whole, yeah. you know, take one piece of jewelry off, which is Coco Chanel. Uh, I have hey, a friend I that, yeah, she I have a friend that sort of adheres to that, like mm. take one piece of whatever off before you leave the house. Um, I do think that what Star Trek does do well, though, is if they want to cram all of these references in, and again, I'm a sucker for a good reference or deep cut, they don't do it to the point where the average view, I mean, even Lower Decks, I've had so many people ask me, like, am I going to understand the stories if I've never watched Star Trek? I'm like, listen, there's a lot of in-jokes and deep cuts and stuff, but you're still going to understand the storyline. So I think Star Trek is really good at that. They don't make the deep cuts or the references actually part of the storyline. They're just it's essentially just banter for those who understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I could I love a good reference, but I could do with a few less as well, because I do feel like some of them are forced sometimes. That being said, I don't think it interrupts the storyline. And that means if you're a new fan of Star Trek and you don't understand it, you're still not lost on the story. Oh, sure. Yeah. And at, at, at the end of the day, again, it's. People playing poker, we get we get the stakes, we get the like you guys were saying earlier, we get the the fact that, you know, it's definitely because it's poker, you're not playing the table, you're not playing the cards, you're playing the other people. And so it's, you know, who's gonna blink first between Booker and Burnham once they clear out those uh, you know, emerald chain suckers. <laughs> I personally thought it would have been cooler if they maybe played Mahjong because, you know, it's a, there you go. a little bit more of an exotic type of poker. Um, we're uh, coming here at the uh, halfway mark of the show, which is where oh, we sure. do our ad thing. And uh, Alan, you already dropped in um, a little bit of hint on, you know, what of uh, what you've done in, in dropping some of your opinions on our discord server. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that for everyone who may have heard us reference Patreon or discord during the course of the show. But if you don't know what we do here on mission log is we have a little, not even that little anymore, a nice growing community on our Patreon subscription group. And for as little as $1 a month, $1 a month, you can subscribe and you can join us on our Mission Log Discord for Patreon. And from there, you can join all the fantastic communities that we have talking about all different types of Star Trek, from the old Star Trek, through the Herman Zimmerman era, through the quote-unquote uh, the 2009 Abrams era, and then to the new Star Trek era. We have all of that and more. We talk about food. We talk about beverages. We talk about collectibles. We talk about science fiction from the 1950s. But more importantly, at least that we've done this just recently, we have some exclusive content that is only for our Patreon subscribers. We had exclusive content from the Nana Visitor interview that uh, wasn't released on her edited version of her interview. And you can only get that if you're a Patreon subscriber. And then we have another show where it was John and I discussing what we left behind the documentary of deep space nine exclusive and recorded only for those who are subscribed to our Patreon and who are on discord. So those are the kind of things that you'll be able to find there. Those are the kind of exclusives that we're offering you 
on Discord for Patreon or Patreon for Discord. So please visit patreon.com slash mission log and look at all the different perks that we can offer you. Um, and I love being on there. You guys, the greatest community I've ever put together, John and I have ever put together, mission log has ever put together and we love being there with you. So let's, um, we're going to roll into our next caller. Alan, thank you calling for calling in so much. Absolutely. And, um, it's super I'm fun. People, um, that my internet's still a little unstable, so I might be coming in a little bit choppy. Um, I'm kind of trying working through it, but the show does go on. So uh, our next caller's coming in, and we have... Are you there, Sherry? Yep. Thanks, Ellen. Hey. Wearing How a you Rito's shirt. Yep, Rito's. <laughs> More Lower Decks references. I'm telling you, man, Lower Decks gets yeah. so much love. I love it. But you also have a Discovery background, like Holly. So I'm that's still like Ta'ana. Cool. I just got on the wrong ship. And then they yeah. win the future, and then I'm just stuck. What am I wearing? <laughs> well, I'm wearing a mirror mirror shirt. I don't know where I am. Oh. What I'm, doing. <laughs> I'm wearing a whiskey shirt, which is really what I should be all drinking right. right now because I'm suffering all these internet problems. So that's just that's just what I need at the moment. I I love Discovery's mirror universe. It's my favorite mirror universe. <laughs> is it? It is. It I is. mean, I I know it might be controversial, although I mean, Michelle Yeoh, like. So I don't. So the characters are interesting. I just feel like they use the mirror universe as a crutch a lot. I, I'm fine with it. Michelle Yeoh is great, but I'm just like, are we in the mirror universe? Again? Maybe I, I might just be biased though because of her. To be fair, uh, but I do love I, Discovery's Mirror Universe Festival. <laughs> I don't blame you there. I love me some Michelle Yeoh. You know, so we'll see what happens with her if she's going to be coming back for any other extra series that they keep dropping on us. Every I think other one of the news break that they have is I have this head cannon because I always hate it like the crop tops in the mirror universe. I have this head cannon that when she became emperor, she just like burned all of the crop tops, and she's like, <laughs> "Oh my!" You ever wear a crop top? <laughs> Me? Did she... No. Her? Oh, did Michelle her... Yeoh's character ever wear a crop no. top? No, yeah, I didn't think she burned did. all of them. They oh, okay, wore, that's like, your really right. cool armor. That's why yeah. it's your headcanon because so, she doesn't. Yeah, it's my headcanon right. that she burned all of them. She just and she's implementing like long coats be. with with big collars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what did you think about all in? Were you all in this episode, or were you holding uh, a few cards back? I agree. Like, I liked the episode. I agreed with Alan, though, about just, like, the frustration with, like, the development on the secondary bridge crew. And I, I get the arguments for and against. At this point, I honestly just kind of feel like the writers are doing it on purpose. Because I know they can write secondary characters really well because they've done it multiple times. Haas has one episode, has a few minutes in this episode. We could all tell you what a Haas line was. If you had a line in a script and it didn't have his name next to it, you'd still know who said it. <laughs> you can't say that about Rice. Uh, Rice. I, because they never use his character. Reese and Bryce, Reese, whose yeah. names are too similar, <laughs> and they freaking don't give them a personality. It's very frustrating for me. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I, there's something sad. to be said about them sort of, I don't know how to put it, breaking the mold, whereas, you know, like every Star Trek series we ha- we've we had, that's been, you know, it's about the bridge crew. And, you know, e- TNG, I think for sure, like every episode you can say 
this is a such and such episode, like because the A storyline is always somebody and then the B storyline is somebody else. Like this is a data episode. This is, you know, a Deanna Troy episode. And I think that obviously like that comes with the territory of them being bottle episodes. So maybe we'll see more of that with Strange New Worlds, which is supposed to be the old, old way of storytelling. Um, mm. I do think it's frustrating to introduce a character that you think has potential and then to be like, but I, where'd they go? What are they doing? Like, I don't know anything. I, I want to know more about them. I don't know enough about them. Um, but I, I, again, I think that, you know, this kind of storytelling, um, we can't focus on one character at a time. See, I almost kind of wonder if their concern is if they develop, because like I said, they clearly can develop these characters in a very short amount of time. So I almost kind of wonder if the concern here is, is that they develop the character um, in like uh, um, this particular, like in the bridge that it'll take attention away from like the main characters or something. Right. Um, so I'm wondering if that's kind of their thinking, because like I said, it's not just Haas, like they've done that with a ton of secondary characters that they've brought in they've developed them far better than they've developed any of the other characters. So I feel like there's, there's some intentionality in it at this point. Um, Cause they're, they're clearly great writers and mm-hmm. they can write both types of characters. So it's, it's almost like that whole, like they weren't allowed to have interpersonal conflicts on like the enterprise for a time period. I kind of wonder if there's something in the show Bible like that about the secondary bridge crew. Um, well, they certainly yeah. want to focus at the very beginning, you know, and it almost has become kind of like this strange, unsaid running gag, like you can't give them too much time, you know, or it's going to take away from. I mean, there was there was a line in this episode to the effect of like Michael Burnham saying, like, I'm the only one who can do this. I'm like, are you really? Are you? I mean, are you, the only one on this know, entire ship in the Federation that can do this job? You can't bring anyone with you? I have two feelings about that. And this is in my notes is that at the beginning of this episode really tells Burnham like that she's too close to the situation to be involved. She's like, you know, emotionally compromised or however you want to phrase it. Um, And I was like, yeah, she should have been told that episodes ago. Right. But she they put her in a position in, in which she really is the only person that can solve the problem. Right. Which is why I think a lot of people get frustrated about like, you know, the world, the universe now revolves around Burnham, right? Like everything goes back to Burnham. Her mom was the red angel. Her brother is Spock. Like it all goes back to Burnham. Everything that's important has something to do with Burnham. So when Rillick told her that, I was like, yes, she is too emotionally compromised. Like move her out of this, move her out of this, have somebody else solve the problem. She is not going to be able to, but again, like she's the only one that can because of her relationship. Like who else would have known that book would have gone to that casino? No one. I mean, but she could have briefed somebody. She but held a lot of information back. But once you know that Dustin, Owo, and Reese, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> there can be some character development. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I understand your frustration because I remember like a few episodes ago, you know, Reese beamed down to the planet to help the, you know, the, the people trying to evacuate because- And they felt- gave him insert character development here. One line- I was so sad because <laughs> I really wanted him to get his moment. He almost got it, you know, and he could have, he could have been there where book was there. He could have helped, you know, free those 
people from the prison facility, but no, it has to be. No, but it has to be, it has to be Burnham and book because they have to further. I think the issue here is whether or not the characters, the B characters, the rest of the bridge crew, um, would their character further character development lend to the storyline that they're trying to tell. And I think that's the issue is that they're trying to tell a story in which largely the, the, uh, the rest of the bridge crew can't really play in. I mean, that's why we got Haas, right? Like who else are they going to have that owns this random seedy casino bar on this planet, on the outskirts of wherever. I, I mean, it's, it's frustrating, but it's also under, Understandable, given the story that they're trying to tell because but, they can't i think like like when you were saying earlier though about like whether or not did did like oh well was it oh well hustling them was did was my i i actually had some weird impression that michael and oh were kind of in on it like they had decided together that they that she was gonna like kind of like pump her up and be like oh no but say it really loudly like i heard in some other person's review that like she was she was saying, oh, no, don't do it really loudly. So that really it was more like her concern was supposed to be like making other people believe that she was really seriously concerned, but actually already knew that Owa was going to do this. But they actually never go into that. And it would have been great, actually, if they had clarified that, because I felt like it would have been a better character development for Owa, too. Like, was clarified in terms it? of like you, you want them to clarify whether or not Burnham knew that she was capable of that. Yeah, did Burnham it, was know, she in on the actor? Also, was it Owo's? Because Owo said, "I have an idea," but right. we don't know how much of the idea was Owo's exactly, and how much was Michael's, and how much of it was just happened. Like it was never super made clear. Yeah. It was it was a little vague, and it would have been funny. Then it only really takes like a line or two saying like, "I knew you got it," and like, "Did you? Didn't you?" <laughs> or something like that. And then they just cut yeah, to the next yeah, scene where like you that. know where it was like this unspoken. It doesn't take much. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I agree. I agree. Um, we only have a little bit of time left in the show, Sherry. So I have uh, about maybe like one more question, one more point you'd like to bring up before we bring in our last caller. Anything oh, else you'd like to say? Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts, parting thoughts. Um, I was, I was just going to say, um, like I, I actually, Alan was mentioning that O was getting a lot of character development, but I actually didn't feel like, even though they had her more in this particular show, like I said, if they'd had some more clarification, I felt like she would have got more development. I actually think of all the secondary bridge crew, Detmer and Linus, have the most character <laughs> development <laughs> Denver and Linus. That fair. And sadly, that's it. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Yeah. Not that I, think, I don't love Linus. I think it's just like right now, like any extra focus that we get on any extra bridge characters or crew is character development, sadly, because that's all we're going to get. You know? I just, I just feel like they can do it. Like, because I feel like it's really more important than I feel like they're thinking that it's making out to be because these people wouldn't the future for michael right. like yeah. we need to have a better basis of how why they would do that as people because that's a huge thing <laughs> yeah so yeah well, that's my thoughts on it <laughs> well norman is frozen um, again no i'm oh. I'm, 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 oh, I'm he's back thawing quickly yeah i'm thawing quickly so i'm um, th- no he's frozen again <laughs> Well, 
Thank you, Sherry. I am going to go on to John because Norman is being throttled <laughs> right now. Uh, thank you for joining us. Hope to see Thanks. you again. And we're going to move on to John. Thanks John, for me rant. <laughs> John, in your blue room. Sometimes you're in a red room. Today you're in the blue room. Give me your thoughts. Can am I back? I'm back. Oh. Hey, Norm. Oh. Hey, John. <laughs> Norman thought pretty good so far. We'll see. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can can we talk about the state of mental health care in the 29th century? Yeah. Sure. Because we got some crazy shenanigans. Uh, can we talk about uh, yelling at robots when you're angry and that's why they turn on us? Like, sure. I'm clean. Um. <laughs> so. So this is a extraordinarily technically uh, advanced future with, you know, legions of civilizations and, you know, millennium cultural progress. But the best the crew of discovery can hope for as far as um, a therapist is their ship's physician in his spare time, because presumably a medical doctor has a lot of spare time uh, to be a counselor and he's so undertrained that he's having a nervous breakdown because he's taking the irresponsible actions of one of his patients personally. Um, and so presumably he's taking, if we can extrapolate from this, he's probably taking on a lot of the irresponsible actions of a lot of his patients very personally. And that's um, not great for the long-term mental health of your therapist. Uh, and then it's sort of resolved in this one scene where Stamet says, oh, but you can do it. You're sweet. And let's go on a walk. Yes. Uh, well, I, holographic flowers. Yeah. I think the challenge here, and I was thinking about this because, I mean, it's just that one scene that we see them in, like, right? And I'm sure that's yeah. going to play into something else down the line. Um, why they're using their medical physician as a counselor when we know that counselors exist, like Deanna Troy, yeah. we had Esri Dax, who was a counselor. Like we know or any that- of the counselors that are in the Federation headquarters in the 900 years from now. Yeah. Well, okay. Exactly. Here's, here's the thing. Sure. But how much of the Federation has been rebuilt at this point that they have those kinds of people available to start placing them on ships? Because there's got to be more than one. Well, I don't disagree with you, right? but there's still... And the only ship that's seeing action right now, too. I mean, they are. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if any ship was going to have a counter, it'd be the one that can jump between very like large lengths of, of time and space. Um, but I, I, I do think that there's something to be said about them still recovering in terms of like how many people were killed in the burn, like how many of those ships mm-hmm. exploded and killed everybody aboard. They're still as a organization and like quite frankly everybody like as a species and as you know a community like everybody is still sort of recovering from from the burn still so you know how many how many counselors do they actually have that are qualified but it's kind of like but i mean even even culber isn't qualified a bartender would be qualified someone just to listen to their problems would. oh we gonna have guinan now why not? If there's a guy in there, <laughs> she's outside of time. That'd be a fun. Oh, that's true. No, she's 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 stuck in another show right now. No, but I mean, I understand both your points, but I'm just saying that it's, it's kind of like it's like the it's like we're the only ship in the system syndrome, mm-hmm. right? And it's like your Starfleet. You have like hundreds of ships. Yeah, there's only one ship that can cover here to there. That's in service. That's not off somewhere else. I mean, like it, you're right, John. Like Culber is only a physician. 
right? Who understands being able to treat patients post, you know, post-treatment, you know, in his surgical bay, but he's not a trained counselor, not like Deanna, you know, not like, uh, dealing is Deanna's, oh, not like Esri, right? Esri, so yeah. like, there's gotta be somebody, even in this post-burn situation where, where someone say like, like Stamets would call like, Hey, um, president relic. Do you have any other counselors that might be able to help? Because my husband is freaking out and we need him as a surgeon on our ship. If we get into trouble with this DMA issue and maybe have someone else talk to and counsel other people, just one person, you know, in your Rolodex, you got one. And I, I feel like, unfortunately, I think Star Trek as a franchise has sort of regressed in its view of mental health care since Next Generation, where we had the counselor on the bridge of the Enterprise right next to the captain. And I know there was a lot of prevaricating as to what Troy's role in the Enterprise actually was. I think at some point, she was was a school administrator. She's also Betazoid, right? So, like, she half Betazoid. So, she has, like, I feel like that whole, like, also a little bit of a cop-out when you're, like, nobody else, no no other species, well, presumably no other species can do that, right? Um, So, sure, she's a great counselor because she's half Betazoid. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I sort of feel, I mean, obviously, this one scene in this one episode, like, if this doesn't play into something else, then they're terrible writers. Like, this is going to happen. And maybe this is a statement about mental health. Eventually, it will become a mental statement about um, mental health and how you, you can only do so much. Like, there's only so much that you can handle that you can take on professionally emotionally physically like at some point like you're gonna break down i feel like that's what they're setting it up for which um would would lend further to the conversation of mental health as a whole right now i i'm frustrated with like yeah i get it It, because right now the show is positing that the mental health health care can be like a side hustle for a real doctor Mm -hmm. um and it's sort of like it's devaluing the struggles of these characters that they're putting, especially in a series that's so devoted to serialized storytelling. And that is sort of putting the forefront or it should be putting in the forefront of the grief and trauma these characters have experienced. If we get like one scene where they're sort of given a pep talk and then sent on their merry way, it's, it's sort of throwing away one of the assets of, of, you know, these serialized characters that, that the show could have right one of my one of my problems though when when you put all your eggs in one basket so to speak is that when you have a bench that's one deep what happens when that player goes down yeah yeah you know what i mean like what happens when when hugh goes down are they finally going to go and reach out to you know human resources in the federation and saying like we need a another doctor and b an actual counselor because you're running the ship too thin i mean if they're the only ship that's in service, they're the only ship that's going out there and doing things to affect the safety of Starfleet and the longevity of their their first contact missions, then why not get them fresh staff? Right? Why not get yeah. them, you know, benches, you know, that are I mean, Culber has we've seen so far what one, two other doctors. So he has physicians that can, you know, that can spell him when he needs rest. But are they qualified to counsel people if they need Mental health servicing or mental Hot Palm health? is in the chat asking what happened to the holograms anyway. Good question. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to have to table that and uh, maybe continue this conversation in Discord. 
sure. on our Patreon community there and maybe a little bit further on in chat because chat's been going off on a lot of the different topics that we've talked about tonight. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time here on our show. Our show goes by very quickly, especially when you're pretty much stalling half the time, which was my scenario tonight. Uh, I don't know why, but I'll look into it. And I apologize to anyone out there for any inconvenience that may have caused your viewing and listening experience. But thanks, John. That was a great question. Uh, we appreciate that, that outlook that you brought to us here today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for doing this every Monday. It's, uh, it's always fun to, to join you. Always a pleasure. And um, we've also been appreciating your engaged emails. So keep those coming, oh, please. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for calling. Uh, well, that's it for our show, Holly. Once again, you know, 60 minutes goes by very quickly. Uh, do you have any last parting thoughts before we, uh, before we fold? The cards, shuffle the oh, deck, recut, get ready for the next show. Oh, we talked about everything in my notes, so I'm a happy camper. Oh, perfect. All right, then. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us tonight. Uh, it's great to be back talking about Star Trek Discovery after such a long break. And uh, next week, John will join us with a far more uh, stable internet connection than mine. So until then, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Technical production on Mission Log and Mission Log Live provided by the unbluffable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest for all of our podcasts. And if you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thanks to Holly for being here, for being fantastic. Hopefully for her lip is now starting to not swell anymore. And thanks to everyone who joined us live, who's going to join us later. Stay safe and stay healthy. And we will see you back here next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.